like that. Oh, I like that, Johnny. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> You're listening to KenCast. This episode was recorded in front of a live internet audience. And here's your host, Ken Cole. Hello, everyone, and welcome to KenCast. We have an amazing show for you today. Today is the 34th anniversary of the release of Karate Kid 3. This is a movie that is a favorite among us here at KenCast and for millions across the world, I'm sure. And we have a wonderful discussion today. First, I'm going to introduce the co-hosts of the Last Row podcast. Now, these guys were the first people to do a deep dive analysis about Karate Kid 3 on the internet. I'm very happy to bring in Drew Rohalley. Hi, Ken. How are you? Hey, great to see you. And Kevin Badway. Hi, Ken. How you doing? It's great to see you. And then, of course, we have a very special guest today. He's a writer and filmmaker behind our generation's most iconic comedies, including the Harold and Kumar series and American Reunion. He has a new series on Netflix coming up, Obliterated. And of course, we know him well for the amazing Karate Kid legacy series, Cobra Kai. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my honor to present Hayden Schlossberg. Hayden, how are you today? Hey, guys. Uh, happy Karate Kid 3 day to all. <laughs> it's Happy Karate Kid 3 Day. I can't imagine a better way to celebrate this movie. And um, I wanted to kind of throw this out here to you, Hayden. What is your first memory of seeing Karate Kid 3? You know, I didn't see it in the theater. So I, the first movie I saw on VHS, um, you know, I had a cousin who had a copy of it, you know, and, and I just watched it over and over again. The second movie I saw in the theater, it was a big theater experience for me because I was, you know, it was 86. So I was like eight years old. And I, it was like one of the first sequels I remember seeing and, and remembering like the characters from the former movie. Karate Kid 3 just kind of, I never knew it was out. It just appeared all of a sudden on HBO, to my knowledge. Like I was just, you know, watching HBO one day and I was like, oh, wow, there's like another Karate Kid. And so, you know, I was probably 12 years old at the time. And, uh, I, you know, I watched it a bunch cause it was on HBO a lot. Yes. Um, how about you guys drew in bad way? What, what's your first memory of karate kid three? I, I remember like watching it on HBO quite a bit as well. And just, it was on quite a bit. I didn't see it in theaters. I was too young at the time, but I remember watching it over and over and like just being enamored with Terry Silver. Like how can you watch that movie and not walk away with knowing how amazing <laughs> like Thomas was and the character itself? Yeah, it's funny. Same story, HBO. I mean, but I uh, I hadn't seen it till I was into my later teens. And yeah, it seemed to be the one that was on the most for some reason. I've, I've seen it more than I've seen one, even though I do consider one to be technically a better movie. But yeah, when I first saw it, oh man, it's Terry Silver. What a jerk. You know, he's such a, a just an absolute maniac. But, you know, upon even the second watch and on, I'm like, you know what? This is this is too good. How could I root against this guy? It's like a bad guy in wrestling. It's like, how could yeah. you possibly... Right. You got you got to start rooting for him once you once you like get into his mind. Right. And and Hayden, you know, after you saw Karate Kid 3 the, for the first time, I'm interested. What did you think of the movie when you first saw it? And has that changed over the years as you've revisited the movie? Um, what's your yeah, opinion? Because I know it's a divisive movie for fans. Yeah, it's interesting because I, you know, like I said, I was around 12 years old when I saw it. So I was not. uh you know, I wasn't that critical, you know, I would just watch movies and look at 
you know, the entertainment value of the movie. And, you know, because I love the characters, um, there was entertainment value there. I love Daniel and Miyagi. And then it was like, I just took it as like, here's the next entry in the saga. And, and, oh, it turns out that there's, uh, you know, Kreese has a friend and you're, you're get, you, you know, you're learning a little bit more into the backstory of it. So, you know, to me, it, it was expanding the story. And so, and it felt, you know, um, like it was a Karate Kid movie and, you know, for good reason, you know, it was, you had Abelson, you had Conti, you had the actors. So I, I was just, you know, I didn't think about its flaws and, you know, we could get into some of that stuff. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, what age you are when you see these things. I, you know, I think for me, the lesson of Karate Kid 3 that I always think about is, you know, that expression, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Like, I, I could imagine being older at the time, watching it and being very critical of it. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of valid criticisms of the movie. Um, but like I said, when you're at a young age, you're just you're not thinking about that. You're just watching it for the entertainment value. And I think about those things like today, when you talk, you know, when you look at things like the star Wars sequels that I know there's a lot of people in my age range that, you know, have issues with them, you know, people who love the original movies and, you know, have, you know, their criticisms of, of the new ones that came out. And again, I feel like, you know, all criticisms are valid, but, you know, having my karate kid three experience you know, I, I realize like, you know, there's a ton of kids, you know, today that probably 20 years from now are going to be like obsessed with, you know, some of these characters that maybe we're not appreciating when we watch them. So it's, uh, you know, I just think, you know, when you see something as a kid, you, you look for the good in it. And then like, right. it's like when you get in your twenties, you get a little bit more critical, cynical, and you start to be like, you know, your bar just gets higher and higher. <laughs> And uh, especially with franchises, you know, because they have so much to live up to. Yeah. You know, uh, similarly, I agree. Like when watching it, you know, before it was a mid 90s, Internet was just kind of popping up. So I didn't really see what the audience thought of other types of these types of movies back when when I'd see them for the first time. When we were when we record when Drew and I recorded our podcast in 2015 and actually went back and saw how maligned the movie was, I was like, really people thought this was bad and it's like God, yeah, i thought it was yeah. great i've always thought it was great but yeah. yeah that's the same thing that that's the seeing it through through, through child's eyes and it's just not letting go of that and and accepting its flaws and, well, and well, yeah you want let, let's just talk about the bad for a second because because like, <laughs> we love karate kid 3 so <laughs> it's sort of like let, let's just acknowledge for for people like you know we're not you know you can see the flaws and still mm -hmm. like it you know um the biggest flaw is that it's a cash grab. <laughs> okay. At the end mm. of the day, like it was made for money. And frankly, a, a lot of the key people involved didn't want to make it. Yeah. That's usually a bad, you know, way to make something. And that, that leads to, you know, a flawed outcome. And that's really, I think why a lot of like the flaws and criticisms kind of ultimately come down from that reason, you know, compare that to Cobra Kai which is a show that was not made for money. It was not made because Sony was trying to, you know, how do we bring Karate Kid to the TV space? It was literally just John, Josh, and me. We were just like obsessed with, you know, 
the Karate Kid movies and talked about this idea for like, you know, expanding on the Johnny character and, you know, we're, we love Billy Zapka. I came up with this story and we went to the studios with it. You know, it's, it's as, you know, original an idea as like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Like nobody mm -hmm. asked for either one, but it came out of like, you know, the mind of a writer or writers. Um, Karate Kid 3 did not happen that way. That was like a, a, a Columbia exec needed things on their slate and they that was a an ip and they just went to robert and <laughs> had uh daniel rather uh ralph under contract so like it, it was made for the wrong reasons um but i think like an accidental pregnancy you know or you know <laughs> things are made for the wrong reasons like you have to accept the fact it became this living thing and the reason i think it does work is because it has a lot of the DNA of the Karate Kid still in it. And I have to credit, you know, Robert Mark Kamen, who even though he did it for the money, he can't write a script without trying, without some of his talent seeping in. And the fact that he knew the characters and the franchise, he had a natural respect for it. So that's why when I said, like, I watched Karate Kid 3, it felt like it was an entry in the Karate Kid saga. Um, had they, like, when you watch Next Karate Kid, there's something a little off about mm -hmm. it. I mean, from the, the font of, of, uh, at the beginning, you know, and Conti's not there, you know, so it's like, and it's not Avildsen. So, you know, it's got Miyagi and, and it has Karate Kid feels in it, no question. But, you know, you're in this era back then of people not caring about, you know, um, entries in the franchise like they'll just bring in new people forget about things from the last entry like what i love about karate kid 3 one thing is like it starts off with like daniel's coming back home from okinawa at, at lax like so it's like they're continuing that they, they care about the last entry um and so you know i don't know but bottom line is they the, there's a lot of flaws you know in the movie and you could pick it apart, but you know, for every flaw, there's something about it that's just like that's awesome. And uh, and in addition to having those karate kid feels, it all also has its own unique thing, which is which is Terry and and Mike Barnes. We'll get into that. The the thing you said, Hayden, about the connection to Daniel coming back from Okinawa, like what I just re recently rewatched it, like yesterday, just because I want to have it fresh again. And I'm always looking for an excuse to watch Karate Kid Three, right? So what better, what better reason? Good but I, I actually really love how connected it does feel to the series. To to your point, because it sort of opens with some of those flashbacks, or not a flashback, but it sort of catches you up. And I, I like how it it ties it closely, and you start to see like how how connected it is within the timeline. And I think, like you said, it has the the core elements of what makes a Karate Kid movie a Karate Kid movie. Definitely agree with you on on the flaws for sure. And to the point that you made about Next Karate Kid, I agree. Like it feels like we were talking about this on a previous episode before. It was like they really went into like the comedy style of it and it just didn't fit the tone of what we're used to within one to three, even though there's comedic elements. Um, but I, I really like how connected it does feel with those those core components to, to your point. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely... Um, Conti has a huge part in everything. Yeah. And when, we, when we did Cobra Kai, we were like, we need... Guess what? When you watch episode one, before you even see anything, you hear Conti. Yeah, I mean, right. it, it's, and you know, it's, uh, it's Alan Silvestri in, uh, back to the future. You know, it's, it's, 
if if you watch these movies as often as we did, there is a visceral effect of that music. And you know, I'll say this just one one thing. You know, in the two thousands, in the early days of YouTube, I remember I was living with uh, my brother Evan, and he would uh, watch Karate Kid three a lot. I just clips from mm-hmm. Karate Kid three of the tournament, uh, and like the music is so good. So, so here's here's the thing. It's like I said, it's a cash grab, right? But not for everyone, not for everyone. So, who mm-hmm. was it a cash grab for? For Thomas Ian Griffith. This was an enormous career opportunity. So he didn't get the memo that this was for the money. <laughs> you know, for him, this was an enormous opportunity, and he's giving 120% in that. Um, I think Bill Conti, you know, is somebody who's just like, hey, he's he doesn't just give me the images, give me the the what the story and let me, you know, uh amplify it. And when you watch the the tournament with Barnes. I just think, you know, the whole, he's hallucinating. Yeah. I think, um, I think that that may be some of my favorite of Conti's music, just like in that, like it, he's got this, like, I don't know what it is, this like kind of mystical thing that's happening while he's doing the kata. Yeah. And then it swells. Holds, and then it goes right to the classic karate kid. It's just, it's incredible. And the end of that movie is so emotional and, and the, the reconnection of, you know, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel together, like as much as I'm rooting for Terry Silver, when Daniel obviously wins, you, it becomes this emotional moment where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I was joking. That way teases me because we always joke about crying at the end of The Dark Knight Rises. Like it gets you emotional, man. It really does. It's like, it's like that and Karate Kid 3, the two movies that I get moved by. <laughs> yeah. Now, Hayden, you brought up Thomas Dean Griffith as Terry Silver. And I was wondering if you could give us your perspective of this series has had amazing villains. We've had Kreese in Karate Kid 1, Sato in Karate Kid 2, and we have Terry Silver in Karate Kid 3. What does that character and Thomas Ian Griffith's performance mean for the Karate Kid saga as a whole? And how did that influence how you approached Cobra Kai? You know, um, another like good thing about Karate Kid 3, um, you know, by by hiring Robert Mark Heyman, he cared about the characters like we talked about. Like he didn't ignore the past entries. And so he's an expansion of what we know of Kreese. So, you know, you had this kind of scary uh, Darth Vader in a, in a karate gi, right? And now you're finding out, wait a second, like, there's more, <laughs> you know, like, there's, the, the, it's a wider, bigger world, there's financial, you know, people above it. And um, I just loved, the other thing about it is it humanizes uh, the dark side of, of Karate Kid, you know, the dark side being Cobra Kai. Yeah. So again, like, I, I don't know if there's a Cobra Kai without it, because it made you feel like there's more of a world to explore because the movies did it. And so, you know, it's like, okay, well, for all the dark, you know, twisted shit that's going on in Cobra Kai, there's, there's like a kind of loyalty that's amazing. And, and, and those are things I always talk about, like, why, why am I drawn to villainous characters? Cause I love the bad guy or the villain in anything. I was talking to somebody about it. I forget when, but I think it's it's not that we like bad things. It's that villains have virtues, 
that we actually all want, like strength, you know, and sometimes it's intelligence, you know, and, but I think the biggest one is fearlessness because every villain is not afraid. It's you're afraid of the villain, you know, that I've never seen a villain that's like freaking out and worried, you know? So I think, especially when you're a kid, you're drawn to these characters that, you know, are so not afraid of anything, you know? And in fact, they're the ones causing mistakes. <laughs> um, and, you know, Terry, in addition to having just all the, you know, traditional villain qualities, has these very specific things that give him texture, you know, from being uh, wealthy and cultured and connected to, uh, to knowing martial arts, like that's something that's not a you know. I like somebody who's like really, really rich, but gets in, but you know, wants to get in the fight themselves. It's like the you know the king or the the prince that isn't just satisfied with being on the throne. Like they want to be a soldier too. Like when you first, that's the thing. When you meet Terry for the first time, think about that first impression. You're it's rich, 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 rich. Okay, you're you're feeling his environs before you meet him and then when you first meet him he's just beating the shit out of two people right <laughs> and like, they're the ones fighting him he has no um like mask on right so like it's just uh he's somebody who's like physical and you know because usually the the super wealthy world is very pampered um and and i like that he's someone who gets in the muck while also um you know having this like luxurious lifestyle Right. So was that always a plan to include Terry in Cobra Kai? Was there always I mean, a design? You, you never, you hope that you're going to get a, a show made and then, and then have a second season. But he was, it was like, if this hits, we have more, there, there's more here. I was, we were very conscious not to get, like get him involved too early because I knew that number one, he's not a part of like the, you know, that character is loved by a, you know, cult fan base, but it's like a, the cult within the cult, you know? So like there's the karate kid cult. And then there's the people who are obsessed with Terry Silver within that. And you want to kind of, you know, bring in people that, um, you know, have bring in the widest possible audience, you know, right from the start. And if we got too into the nitty gritty and made it where, oh, to love this show, you need to know all these little fine details. It, it would, it would make the show less accessible. But like once you get in now and you and you're and, you know, for people who haven't seen the movies or don't know them that well, now a season or two in, you're like invested in these characters. And we purposely kept him alive every season of the show. There, there'd be little mentions or hints or a buddy of mine took that photo or, you know, so so the fans who know it are like, OK, they're not dis they're, they're acknowledging his existence. He's in this world like he could come in. Um, and for the people that don't know him, you're, you're getting a taste of him. And, and at the point at which we knew we were going to bring him back, that's why, like, we wanted to have the flashbacks of Vietnam because we wanted it to be something that, you know, from the very beginning, our philosophy when writing Cobra Kai is we write to the two audiences, the hardcore fans and the people who never saw anything. Cause if you're, if you're just writing for hardcore fans, you're, you're going to, you're not going to care about story as much. When you're writing to like a general audience, you need to have 
you need to bring them and suck them in. And so, like, why do people care about Terry Silver if they haven't seen Karate Kid 3? Well, in Cobra Kai, it's because you saw, it's because you care about all these things. You're learning about Kreese's backstory. You're seeing this guy in Vietnam. So by the time you're seeing, you know, Cobra Kai season four, you're like, oh, that's the guy from the flashbacks. You're invested. And if you're like us, you're like, oh, finally, this is the greatest thing of all. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly how we were. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> so, uh, so Terry Silver, Thomas Ian Griffith, uh, what captured you about, because you mentioned that it was passion. It wasn't just a cash grab for him. It was important back in the day. What yep. grabbed you about that performance in Karate Kid 3? And um, I guess, how did you translate that to Cobra Kai? You know, he's, I, I didn't know at the time how talented he was. I knew that he, I, from the very beginning, you know, I didn't know Thomas when we were pursuing bringing him back in. I, you know, just heard little things about him from Robert because we had connected with Robert about him. But I just knew that he played that role so well. And so I, I'm never like, you know, I, I wasn't going to be like, hey, um, I don't want, you know, I, I'm, you know, we always try to give people like, you know, the wheelhouse that they could, um, they could play in. But as soon as I met him, I was like, gee, this guy's like, you know, really smart and really gets it. And I think for him, he has mixed feelings about, you know, Karate Kid 3 because it was like so important to him. And, you know, there are things that the issues with it were like outside of his control. Um, and I think there's just a natural bit of like self-consciousness about like how arch a character gets when you're an actor. And, you know, what I love is that, but you know what, at the end of the day, when you're an actor, if you go 80%, it's not going to work out. Like if you, if you're fighting what something is and it's not going to work out. And what I love is that like, like he didn't have, he had to believe it. Like, you know, to do it, you have to believe in it. And I believe that Thomas was just like in his mind, he found the motivation and he was just like committed. And, and because of that, he sold it. He sold it. And so for me, when I was 12 years old watching it, I was like, this guy's intense. This guy is. And what I love about it is he's like, he's got all these traits of the, uh, you know, the supervillains. I know you guys have talked about that in, in different podcasts, but he's in a teen world. You know, he's in a teenage world, but playing with like kind of, Bond's level psychosis, you know? <laughs> so it's it's a great meld, you know, and I just love that so much. And you know, again, like for for anything, you know, for all the things I know, Thomas would be like kind of self conscious about. It's just like it's so beautiful to me that that combination of um, of maniacal megalomania with. Um, you know, with, with this, this teen story, you know? And so it was tricky, you know, like bringing it back, you know, cause I, you know, and talking to him, you know, we, we, we have this balancing act that we kind of do on the show where it's like, we want to bring back all these things for our youth, but we, we are held to higher standards today of, um, we're, we're, we're dealing with a 2023 or whatever, a present day audience that has higher standards of realism. 
you know, and that, that goes from everything from like what we expect out of visual effects to dialogue to like, you know, characters and motivations, you know? So it's, uh, you know, we try to make it where we're, you know, like, and, and when talking to Thomas, like I wanted to do something that, uh, checks those boxes of realism and, and, and felt grounded while without losing why we liked him in the first place, you know? Um, and that, that was the same thing with like Johnny, you know, and it's, there's like, you know, it's fun because a lot of these actors have, you know, conflicted feelings about their characters, you know, from these movies, whether it's because, because they came, became so iconic, you know? Um, and what we try to do in the show is, you know, play with that um, in ways that, you know, for the actors gives them a chance to feel like they're doing something that's real and not just a cartoon version of, of something, but, but still has those things that we liked as the cartoon. Like I was always saying with, with, with Billy, it's like, if Johnny was too nice, you know, like it just, we, we would lose what we actually like about him. And so it's, it's finding that balance. Right. And I was going to ask, you brought up all these things that you loved about Karate Kid 3. Hayden, I want to get your thoughts on this and then everyone else's too. What is your favorite moment from Karate Kid 3? Um, I would say the first thing that comes into my mind is him in the hot tub um, <laughs> with, with Margaret. Yes. Uh, you know, this is a pre-Me Too era, obviously, uh, where you could uh, take baths with your, uh, you know, assistants nearby. Um, <laughs> and I just love, I just love everything that 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 means. And the cool thing was, like, you you saw it. It was after you saw him like kicking ass already. So he's not the pamper. So it's like you're seeing, you're getting another taste of him here. He's a guy who likes to fight and relax and have uh, live a spa life too. Like he's, um, you know, I think you get his laugh in that scene. He's smoking a cigar in a hot tub. Just everything's yeah. drinking champagne, right? In the hot tub, the is phone. he? <laughs> well, the phone is the Victorian. The hot tub's small too. It's not yeah. like his hot tub. He's a six foot five guy. <laughs> that's like almost like a pod that's built for him, you know? Um, it's not like you're bringing in Snake and Dennis and saying, hop in, you know? Um, so, and, and you know, that, you know, the whole, uh, is there one scene or two scenes in the hot tub? It's just one, right? One scene. I, it's, it's the one. One hot tub, one, one steam room. Think about what happens in that scene. It's like you get, you get Barnes in that scene, yep. right? You get, uh, he's noxious. Like, I know it's perfect in the lap. I mean, you get, you get this, you know, like his, his attitude, you know, like everything, all the, like the body language, verbal, like everything that's, that I, that Thomas brings that's not on the page is in that scene, along with all the ridiculous stuff that Robert wrote. Um, you know, the, that is that toxide, uh, the, the, the chloride sludge. Yes. That, so it's like everything is in that scene. Um, and I just love it so Who much. And Margaret, yeah. Yeah, and, and even the way like the phone rings twice back to back and he's annoyed both times <laughs> answering it like those are uh, those are there's got to be choices by him not in the script and it's it's perfect yeah oh my god so good it's just so good it's so good and it's not like so bad it's good it's right no. it's like it's because it's his performance 
that makes it good. Like you could get a bad actor and it would just be so bad it's bad. You right. know, it's it's his performance that makes it like I believe because I believe it. I believe he is annoyed. I but like and I love that. So I'm like really seeing I feel like I'm really seeing somebody who's like recruiting somebody to torture a kid. And this is what it's like. <laughs> like I, you know, like how do you do it? How do you how do you break a teen psychologically? You know? I I I like the idea. It's like, you know what? Let's put him through physical and psychological trauma. And, you know, so you know, let's I, I'm gonna be a part of that and I'm gonna recruit like a, a ringer and you know, I got it, but I got to find that you got to find the right ringer. It's going to be somebody that's, that's, you know, really willing to hurt a kid. And you're, so you're seeing this in, like all very committed. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, Sean also, you know, is just, uh, does a great job, uh, you know, playing that role too. So it's, it's just so fun. Like when you, but when you believe it, it it's, it, like there's there's things that I watch that are so bad it's funny and stuff like that 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 Karate Kid three is not that for right. me. It's like right. I watch it for the fun of the characters and the and the few Karate Kid moments that actually are there that give me the the old school feels. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Very well said. And you guys, uh, what what are your favorite moments? Uh, you go first, bad way. <laughs> All right. Well, it's hard. I mean. It's the first is the the maniacal uh, steam room stand up like yeah. his moment of evil, you know yes. the laugh and everything, and then, but really I love when he's training Daniel and like he's Daniel's like questioning it for the first time and he just gets annoyed and walks away, and and he goes goes around the corner and just like listens in as Daniel like just just falls in to the trap and he's just has that evil grin on his face, standing in the shadows, like that shot of him half in the shadows, listening to Daniel give in to his, to his, uh, his evil instructions. <laughs> that might be my favorite team. Yes. Yeah. How about you, Drew? <laughs> I was going to say the steam room because I feel like it's so iconic to me. Like the fact that he has the, the, the towel, he's on the Zach Morris cell phone and like just the way that he's talking to crease because you know, you don't really know who he is at that point. You know John Kreese, obviously, from the first movie and and what happens. And you're trying to figure out like who is this guy? You know, you see him sparring, like Hayden was talking about earlier in his house with the, you know, the the hired help. And it's like, this guy is this guy is okay for real. And when he's talking to Kreese, and it sort of explains why Kreese is away. But I think you start to really see he gives the maniacal laugh. You start to see, and yeah, I guess it is sort of Bond-esque because, you know, he's he's sort of this crazy person, but it's also grounded. And I think, you know, Hayden, you nailed it. Like Thomas sells it. And I feel like that's, that's the thing. Like, yes, it's over the top, but there's a reason for it. And it's, you start to see like, why is this guy the way that he is? But I feel like that it's just iconic. Like that, that shot always was ingrained in my memory. It's like, this guy's taking this call about to terrorize a teenager's life, taking a, 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 a sabbatical from his CEO gig from this major corporation to go terrorize a teenager. And I'm like, all right, I guess this is what we're doing here. <laughs> and, and the crazy, so like for us, you know, it's fun to enjoy that. And then it's like, well, when we're bringing him back in the show, the thing is like, now we're writing. Right. And so now it becomes something where, you know, like I have to believe, I have to believe this, you know? And it's tricky because, you know, I, you know, I sometimes compare what we do on the show to like kind of, um, or something like, you know, what we're doing with Terry is similar to what Chris Nolan did with Batman. It's, you have something that's kind of far-fetched 
And you have to, you know, the exercise is how do you make this feel real while keeping what fans like about it? And like, I always thought like in Batman Begins, it's like, he's like, well, why the hell, why would someone pick a bat? Why would that, you know, it's like all these things were just done in a way that's like, okay, I could see that. I could see that. You know, it's like you want to instill fear in the other create. I remember there's something that's like, we need something elemental, you know, and like the, the figure of a bat, you know, like all that stuff. What that is, is just like, it's a grounded, it's the, you know, it's just trying to figure out as much realism as possible to something that could be cartoony. Um, and so that's what we had to do, you know, with Terry and like, we have these scenes and I'm like, had to add like an actor think about like, well, what was it like? Cause it's easy to say he's crazy. Right. And, but when you're, it's tough to write crazy. It's tough to be like, you don't like, you know, write a schizophrenic character, you know, is really difficult and because there's no rhyme or reason to it. And then as the story, you need to have a set, you know, a, a place that you're going at least, you know? So I, I guess like, you know, we had to like go back in the movie and think, you know, why is he doing these things? What is that? You know? And, and how do I, how can I, relate to this guy in real life? How do I believe that this is, because I don't, you know, it's not a Bond villain. Like, why is he doing this? And our answer was essentially, it's, you know, it's crease, you know, like, but what, but why, you know, what is that? You know, and you go into it and it's like, well, you know, the seeds are there with Vietnam. So we're like, you know what? Maybe there's PTSD there. Maybe there's, um, you know, he's also rich and, you know, a lot of times, you know, when it comes to Vietnam and stuff, there's like, I knew of like, or I, I've heard in stories and in history, you know, like these kind of super wealthy, you know, uh, millionaires in the fifties and sixties that sent their kids off to Vietnam, you know, thinking like, oh, it's going to be like World War II. And, you know, we've hinted at in Cobra Kai, like, you know, a little bit of uh, some sort of a relationship, you know, with Terry and his dad, you know, but like, I, we imagine that there's, you know, he's got his own kind of Bruce Wayne backstory with a rich family that's, you know, like he's going to Vietnam to have to live in a shadow or prove himself and then ends up in the most traumatic, you know, experience, you know, experience possible and only comes out of it because of this one person. So his whole life is, you know, is he's alive because of John Kreese. And also with that is like how they cope is with this philosophy of Cobra Kai. And like, and so now I'm like, okay, that I, I'm getting into that now. Now that that's like bringing real world stuff into it. And now when I watch Karate Kid 3, it's like I buy into, hey, you know what? This, this philosophy, this worldview made it where Terry could just thrive. And just be like next level and just constantly want more and more and more and more and more. Um, another thing, you know, when writing the character and thinking about like bringing a realism to it was like, like who is Terry as an archetype? You know, we, we use like Gordon Gecko in Wall Street or Patrick Bateman in um, American Psycho, you know, all slick back, all like 80s corporate evil. But like the, you know, so he's of an era. 
you know, and that era of like that Vietnam kid that came out and is just like, screw it, I'm taking over the world. And, um, and so, and, and, and having this like life commitment to this one guy, um, you know, was that then I, I understood, okay, you know what, like somebody destroyed my friend, my friend's reputation and maybe he didn't get the whole story, you know, like, but, you know, you see increases version of the, <laughs> you know, so it's like, I into like, let's, let's, and also the other thing was cocaine, right? So I was like, you know, that, that, that helps add to like, you know, maybe why somebody would uh, break into someone's house and hide in a chimney. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm like, so glad you said it. It's like that. Yeah. Why, why, why realistically would someone hide in a chimney? What, like, and when you think about like the people in real life who hide in chimneys, usually drugs are involved. And when, again, when you talk about the 80s and all that, well, it's like we combine all these things like a backstory with the family, the, the Vietnam trauma, this lifelong friend of Crease, and, uh, and a little bit of cocaine sprinkled on. And, you know, for us, that gave us, that made us understand who he was. Now, when I watch, and, and we, you know, believe me, all those choices, it was important to us that they didn't undermine anything that was in Karate Kid 3. Like, you go back and it's not like, well, wait, this doesn't make sense that he'd be on cocaine here. Wait, no, it does, actually. And almost <laughs> nothing seen. Um, so <laughs> it's like, like I said, that's our, that was our exercise. And, and it allowed us to kind of, you know, in the present day, right? This character who had that past and now trying to, you know, start things new today. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Uh, that's, that's great. And uh, you mentioned Sean Kanan playing Mike Barnes. And so we have, Daniel has new tormentors in this movie. And you mentioned that Karate Kid 3 overall was pretty much a cash grab. And it's interesting that they are mercenary Cobras, you know, in this one. Um, what did you think of Mike, Dennis, and Snake uh, in comparison to say Johnny and the Cobras, like wh where did they fit in? Like Mike, Dennis, and Snake in your mind in this what whole I, saga? Yeah, what I what I like about it is it kind of makes Cobra Kai feel like um like a a bigger thing that has factions. It's like the mafia. It's like there's different pockets of wise guys. You know, it's not just it's not just there's one class or something like that. And um, they still seem like kind of young, right? That's the interesting thing. That, you know, when Robert had to create these characters, it's like, you know, Mike Barnes has to be young enough to be in this tournament believably. And, you know, so like he introduced Snake and Dennis and Snake's the guy who, um, what's the line? I'm sorry. Uh, Snake knows how to have fun or <laughs> yeah. party. Oh, awesome. <laughs> if you want to be a bad boy in LA, yeah. Snake's the boy. Snake's the bad boy. <laughs> Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Which, by the way, to me, he's the guy. He's the supplier. Like you, you know, <laughs> that that that's. There's no question. Terry is getting his his gram yeah. uh, um, from uh, Snake. You know, so um, I don't think Dennis does it. In my like, I think Dennis is kind of like you know, kind of cold and and serious in that way. He's the um, muscle. But, <laughs> yeah it's it's just like uh it's interesting that there's this like new posse and also just the name snake you know it, it makes it feel like again like this is it, it 
in some ways it makes them, you know, it makes Cobra like, you know, Cobra, Cobra Kai like Cobra in G.I. Joe. Like, like, yeah. you know, it's, you know, it, it gives a comic book element uh, to the world. But I just like to think of it as like, okay, like these are got like, the, you know, they're wearing the t-shirts, you know, at the, at the tournament. So like they're Cobra Kai, snakes, Cobra mm-hmm. Kai. Like mm-hmm. we're, if we're going to be, you know, having a list of the Cobra Kai members in the universe, you know, it's Snake and Dennis are there. I like your idea of like it being factions, because if you think about like some of the actions that they take compared to the original Cobras, like murder, attempted murder is up there, right? Like they're climbing a mountain or in Devil's Cauldron or whatever, and and they're going to throw the ropes down, right? They're going to, they're going to break a bonsai tree that has so much sentimental meaning. They're going to, you know, Mike Barnes is, is, wants to yell at Daniel so bad, he's going to have the guy do another donut and swing around the, the bonsai shop just one more time, one just more so he more. can, <laughs> just so we can yell at him. Like they take it up a notch. And I think that's what's what I like about like Snake and Dennis and, and Mike Barnes, obviously, like Sean played him masterfully. Like I, I love Mike Barnes as a character. And it's like, but that faction, like you said, these guys are just a little bit more intense. They're kind of at 11 while the other guys are maybe at a nine or a 10. It's like, it really stands out to me. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're great. They're great. Who knows? There's still another season in Cobra Kai left. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crossing my fingers here. <laughs> yeah. And I was talking. We were uh, Drew and I were talking about this yesterday, and I got to give Drew credit for this, Drew. I, I don't know if you're going to bring this up or not, but the 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 fact of the of the plot line of I'm going to fight you until you fight me. You know, that's 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 yeah. Mike Barnes' <laughs> mission is I'm going to fight you every day until you fight me for real, and like that's just yeah. ridiculous to me. Just, yeah, it's it's <laughs> interesting because like I look at it now as a screenwriter, you know, and it's like it, he need they needed to have this like teen antagonist, and it's like they needed to have purpose to the scenes so the purpose becomes sign this doc sign this concept sign it. right. <laughs> it's like like again that's you know i i wish you know i go back sometimes i'm like if i could rewrite karate kid three you know like what would i do to fix some of those things because there are things that are just like a little bit like i love the character and i do like that like like i think that there's a way that you could still make it where like they're they're you know threatening you know life is at yeah. stake you know, like the devil's collagen thing I love. Yeah. Um, it's just like, you know, there is a, uh, you got to sign this tournament thing. That's a little ridiculous. So my, one thing I thought would it would have helped that movie, just a real simple change is making the tournament bigger, making if they yes. did a tournament or nationals like that, that's like one flaw I'm like frustrated with, with the movie was like, you had this, um, this bigger, higher stakes sequel, in Karate Kid 2, that was like a fight to the death. And then it was just like, all of a sudden, we are back in Karate Kid 1 stakes. And it's like, he won that already. So yeah. that that was like, if they had just made it where like, you know, hey, Daniels has this opportunity to fight in this world tournament or something like that. They Like his, you know, the, the legendary kick and people want to talk about it, but Miyagi doesn't want to do it because it's we're not doing it for these reasons. And but Daniel's tempted to go into that. And you know, maybe Terry is involved with the karate organization and stuff like that. So you could, like there could have been something that would have, I think, like increased the stakes. Um, because that that's just something that always like, you know, you because then you end up having to do the whole uh, well, he's just, you know, let's fast forward to the final match, you know, yeah, right. um, which is what they do. But Listen, you know, it's it still worked on me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I that's think. It. Oh, go oh, ahead, go ahead. Ken, Sorry. 
I was going to say that's really interesting because yeah, everything's there. Like if it's a bigger tournament, there could have been a cash prize involved, which could have helped Mr. Miyagi if he was in financial straits or his mom and uncle Louie, like that could have been a way for Daniel to get money for the people he cared about. But then Mr. Miyagi saying, no, that's not a reason to fight. Um, that's, that's so interesting. Yeah, the, the one thing that I that stood out to me too was even just looking at the board, like on the wall, right? There was only I think there was only what two, uh, four, four com- competitors besides Daniel Ray, and then I think it was two rounds or something. I, I, I could be misremembering that, but it wasn't a ton. And like I think about uh, the movie Sidekicks a lot, where they had sort of a you know a massive tournament there with like different skills competitions. Even it was some and like what what you guys did with with Cobra Kai, right? right? It's like that was cool to me because the stakes were higher. There was more things going on, and it, like to your point, it wasn't just sign this document and have this fight. So, well, you know, uh, you know, without divulging too much, you know, that's you know the, our, our final season of Cobra Kai, you know that that's why you know what we you know we build to. Um, you know what? What you know this this world tournament, the Sakai Taikai. Like for us, you know, it was how do you how do you top yourselves? How do you you know how do you you know increase the stakes and with stuff and um, you know? But it's uh, there, there's a million things you could go back and do. At the end of the day, it's like you you love the characters and and you you go back for these moments. You know? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, I have to ask you a question and get your special insight on Terry Silver, because I know this is something that Drew and Badway and I were wondering about. Do you think secretly, when Terry Silver is training Daniel, if Daniel kept with Terry Silver, do you think secretly he would have accepted Daniel as a student? Do you think he would have thrown away his plan? Like if he totally rebelled against Miyagi? Do you that's, think Terry would have kept him? it? When I rewatch it, that's the happy ending I'm rooting for. <laughs> because, because, because frankly, that's the main relationship in the show, in the movie. Yeah. Like, there's, there's Daniel and Miyagi, but Daniel and Miyagi's relationship in the movie isn't good. Like, so, um, and, and, and it's nothing that I haven't seen before. Like, you know, his, they had better scenes together in Cardi Kid 1 and Cardi Kid 2. Um, you know, for, throughout most of the movie. I mean, once 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 they get into the Devil's Cauldron and the Bonsai, and you know, there's plenty of great Daniel Miyagi scenes. In when I say plenty, like they, there end up being good Daniel Miyagi scenes. But in the in the thrust of the second act, it's you know there is you know Robin Lively's character and um, uh, Jessica, uh, and you know th- there's there's other scenes, but it's like the connection that you that daniel and terry have is i think the the heart of of the movie in a weird bizarre way there is no heart with daniel and miyagi in the second act you know and there is with daniel and jessica but you know they kept it sort of platonic so it's like the the thing uh, this and what i love about karate kid three and terry and I'll say like this, this helped us with Cobra Kai and I, I continue to draw on this is it worked like, co- like Terry's teachings worked. He broke, he broke that friggin' wooden dummy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's what's cool about it. It was like, it wasn't just, um, you know, okay, he's, he's making his knuckles bleed and all of that. He brought out this anger within him. And then he just destroyed this thing, and in a in a moment felt like, oh shit, this guy's got dark side energy. Yeah. He's got like he's got the lightning shooting out of his out of his hands. 
And like Terry taught him that. That was a Sith to to you know you know master to apprentice moment that we got to see. And that was that's the only time you see it in in you know up until then. You never saw like behind the curtain of Cobra Kai in the first movie. So like when writing Cobra Kai, it was like, hey, like it gave you an idea as to how that like style works, you know, how the, how the, you know, what the method of that madness is. It's like, it's building up the anger within you. You see it in like this, the first lesson um, or in maybe it's the second episode when Johnny is teaching. Yeah. The first lesson he has is in episode two. Uh, where Johnny's teaching Miguel and he's like telling him to fight this dummy and picture, picture that, you know, that asshole, you know, and so <laughs> got a picture in his mind and you're, you know, you're picturing Kyler and he's just like wailing at this thing. And it's like, okay, like that's the, that's the teaching style and it worked. And, and so it would have been cool if like Terry saw what he did and was like, holy shit, this kid's got more in him than anything. And you know what? I'm going to use him to like beat the shit out of Mike Barnes, you know, like, and, and <laughs> down a peg, you know, it's, it's kind of like when, when the emperor is like excited about Luke, like hurting Vader and he's like, good, you know, like, I like, that. like, I want, I want, that would have been so cool if, all of a sudden, Terry's like, "Holy shit!" You know what started as a uh, as a, a, a revenge became uh, a, a prodigy that is going to be my weapon. And you know, it's like that would have been so cool. So, like that that I, I you think about you know that that when I watch it now, it, it worked too because you you even said like when he was saying like he didn't. I think he was with Robin Lively's character in the club or in the dance club when Terry sort of weirdly just showed up and was kind of chilling and hanging out there. But he says to her, like, this guy's teaching me things that I never thought I could do. And like, he's bringing out the anger in him. And I think you, you nailed that. So <laughs> sorry about it. Go ahead. Just Gabe Jarrett right in the, yeah. in, in, in the nose. And I love, I also love that he's just there. He's yeah. like, Daniel, what's going on? I told you I was going to be here. <laughs> We're not together. Like it's, it's the convenience, you know, <laughs> It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Uh, I, I, you know, I have my my notes. Uh, if John and Josh are watching, just so you know, uh, this is what I've been working on all week. Uh, the uh, other thing I like is when you first meet uh, Terry. He's like, he goes to Crease. He's like Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. You know, like he's like, what's wrong, man? Like he's you know, like he he's on. Like I feel like he's on cocaine and fight. And uh, later on, he's like Danny, Danny, Danny. Like so, he does this this thing. That's like that's his style of like the three name. It'd be like Kenny, Kenny, Kenny. <laughs> like like yes, you got right. <laughs> so like you know, it's these these little bits of texture that Thomas gives um, <laughs> is just amazing. <laughs> yes, and uh, so. I have to ask you here as we as we kind of look forward now to Cobra Kai season six, are there elements of Karate Kid three or lessons from Karate Kid three that you're looking forward to applying to Cobra Kai season six? And then if you uh, feel like teasing anything about Cobra Kai season six uh, as well. 
it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So, uh, you know, we, we were, uh, you know, in the writer's room planning out Cobra Kai season six. And, you know, some of this is just stuff that we've talked about from the beginning. How do we, where do we want the, the show to end? And then, you know, um, you know, going into the writer's room or going into, you know, after season five, when we felt like, okay, this is we're we're ready to kind of, you know, get to this, uh, this final season. You know, we were, we've been thinking about it for a while and, you know, we, um, you know, we go into every writer's room with an idea of where we're going and what this is going to be. And so we've talked to the writers about this is the grand kind of plan for the season, uh, but then things change as you get into the nitty gritty and you start, you know, going episode by episode and you come up with more ideas. And we hadn't gotten through every single episode like that by the time the strike happened. You know, like we we knew we knew generally where we were going and we had cracked a bunch of episodes and had a bunch of scripts written. So it was like, you know, uh we we were really loving, you know, where where things are going. And you know, unfortunately, things got paused, but, you know, our brains are still working and, and it's fun because you get to think a little bit more uh, about it. Um, and, you know, I'll just say, like, you know, we want, you know, you know, I brought up the world tournament thing. You know, it's like we're not just going to uh, end the season with, uh, you know, stakes that aren't as high as previous seasons. So, you know, I think that our our goal, I mean, every season of Cobra Kai is how do we make it feel bigger while also staying true to the Karate Kid? And that, so at the end of the day, I know that like whatever the flaws will be in anything, you know, in a, in a, a given season of Cobra Kai, I know that if we stay true to the Karate Kid, I'm going to like it. And people who like the Karate Kid will like it, like Karate Kid 3. You know, like there, there may be flaws, but it's got that music or it's got that these moments and it's got, you know, um, you know, care into the characters and performances that you're going to love. But I can promise you that, like, you know, we have a lot of good stuff planned, you know, for these characters and the actors are dying to, you know, to do it. And so, you know, I I uh, I feel like, you know, there's going to be. Uh, a lot of great kind of uh, Karate Kid moments in our final season of Cobra Kai, while also having some of the biggest you know moments that we've had on on the show. Is wow. how's that for not giving anything <laughs> away? That was uh, great, pretty good. It was yeah, great. It's it's tricky. I like to give morsels, but it's it's so tricky, you know. And and we and I don't know when the strike is going to end and. Things change, you know, it's like, I'd rather give morsels after we've shot the show and I know what's made the cuts and I know what's, what's coming. And, you know, sometimes my morsels are just lies, so you can't <laughs> always trust but, um, yeah, I'd rather not know. I'd, I'd love to be surprised. So I'm okay with yes. secrets. Yeah. If, if, if people think John Kreese is gone, maybe we can get him jumping out from a cardboard cutout of himself, yeah. you know, so just, <laughs> just saying, just saying. <laughs> Yeah, but well, we've had a car- we added that cardboard cutout in it was season three or something. We brought back like, <laughs> as he took over the dojo. Like it's, it's, the, the moment Chris takes over the dojo, there's a cardboard cutout. <laughs> My second yeah. favorite moment of Karate Kid Three. <laughs> oh my god! 
it's that's so like a cheat code. That's a cheat code, actually. That shouldn't count. Yeah. It's so it's so it's just so good. It's so good to jump out and scare people. Is like <laughs> to do it in a way without like in a silly way and just enjoying that. And well, because I I put myself in like Daniel's shoes in that moment, right? And it's like they felt bad when they thought that John Kreese passed away. That like they actually felt bad. They're like, oh man, and then he shows up. He's like you said, physical, emotional torture. And then all of a sudden, this guy that tormented him for how long and and was sort of the source of of the tormentors that were also tormenting him jumps out. Oh, by the way, surprise. And the face that he gives in that moment is insane. <laughs> so it's so good. Martin could have like, played it perfectly. And the fact that it's, yeah, you're right, it's not silly, but um, Crease and Silver and Barnes are all playing it like like they're laughing about it to in Daniel's face while Daniel is like visibly shook. shook. It's, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Amazing. <laughs> It's so beautiful. <laughs> so Hayden, as we know, uh, Karate Kid 3 was the last of the Daniel LaRusso trilogy of movies. And now we've got Cobra Kai season six, which is the grand finale of the Cobra Kai series. How do you feel right now about it ending? Are you looking forward to it ending or do you kind of wish it, you could keep making the series like forever? Or I don't know, what, what are your feelings about that? I think that, this the kind of show that we're doing feels like um it's it's reached a place that if we go beyond it would have diminishing returns so i in that sense that was that was our um our feeling about it after season five you know we were just like we because we knew that we were going to do the world tournament and we knew there's there's things that we want to do that we talked about doing that so we knew that five wasn't going to be the end, but you know, when you started to plan those things out, you're like, okay, how, well, how, you know, what, what's the thing after that? And it, it just felt like, you know what, this is a good time to end things. And I'll just say like, I, I don't believe in ends <laughs> in Hollywood. Um, I mean, justified is coming out again. Dexter came out again, you know? So um, I just believe that if you you know, build something and care about it and end it like it's still there um, to maybe revisit. So, but, but then if you're revisiting it, you're, you're come, you could come in with a new framework so that you're not like, okay, how do we top our last season? Um, So, you know, that, you know, bottom line is I love these characters. I love this world. And, you know, um, that there are, there is a part of you that's just like I want to keep doing this, um, but you have to you know, Cobra Kai is a big, tricky show. It's not just uh, there's there's a lot of pieces going on there. It's this giant soap opera, and there there is a world that we could continue it and and like bring in a new class and do all that stuff. And we've seen that sort of thing, you know, with some shows. But I I just kind of like the idea of it feeling like this was a thing um, that, you know, started here and ended there. And then what I, but we've established that just because something seems like it's an end doesn't mean it's an end. You know, the, the Karate Kid 3 ended, but that wasn't the end of Terry Silver. Terry Silver came back, you know, and th- that's official. Um, and you know, and, and wreaks more havoc than ever. I mean, let that, that was my favorite thing about 
season five. So like, you know, that was just, that was just pure Karate Kid 3 wish fulfillment um, was like, all right, here's, he won. Like he won and now he gets, you get to see what he's going to do now. So, um, so like that all came back. So if you, you know, finish watching the final episode of Cobra Kai season six and you love it and then you go back and you watch all of these and you're just like, I want to see this again. It can happen. It can happen because you know, John, Josh, and I love the characters and may want to revisit it. Uh, it may happen because it was a hugely successful show and corporations like to make money. Um, and sometimes it's like, there's like a business thing of like, okay, well, each season becomes more and more expensive and expensive. And then, you know, time goes, then all of a sudden a few years go by, you know, and you're able to revisit the show with a different financial kind of picture. Um, and you know, there's new executives that want like something that's you know proven. So I, I just I'm not saying that that's what we're gonna do. I'm just saying like I I don't feel like oh my god it's this is it it can't happen anymore. Um, I just feel like the the movie is a classic, and leave us thirty something almost forty years later, it's like in the zeitgeist and super popular, and we're talking about Terry Silver. So I don't, I don't, anything is possible to me. And so I'm, uh, I'm just going to enjoy it. I treat it as an end and, you know, know that like there's, you know, you know, hope that there's a way to uh, maybe revisit in, in, in a new way. Maybe there's a backstory. Maybe there's a Dynatox show, Ken. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Could you so imagine that. that? Could you imagine? Oh, I imagine Which it every day. You guys see if there was, if Netflix came out with like Dynatox. And it was <laughs> kind of a don't tease me. Just showed yeah, you is... what that world was like. I haven't, I haven't asked you yet. Yeah, let me just finish, and then you, you could we'll build the suspense, and you could tell me if it's a yes. <laughs> or no. like, if there was a show that kind of delved deeper into Terry's life, maybe some of that that family backstory, maybe seeing how you know that you know what what happened a little bit more in Borneo, um, you know the how Dynatox came to be what it is, the, the, the whole slope. And then some of the stuff that we talk about after, uh, you know, Karate Kid three and just seeing kind of how, uh, like a little bit of corporate eighties greed mixed with, you know, the, you know, these crazy characters, you know, how Margaret, you know, came to be, um, you know, and, and what, you know, what her entry in the company was, would that be something you guys would maybe tune into? Uh, we'll start with Drake. Well, you Dude, know, you, Hayden, you're speaking, you're speaking my language here. Like we, I, that's, that's actually honestly like a dream series for me because I feel like there's so much of the backstory that we don't know that I would love to know. And it's like, we've speculated in our own minds or, you know, talking on some of these streams, but Dude, where do I sign up? Please. <laughs> like I, I would love it. Kevin, Kevin I mean, if, if there was, uh, if Netflix came out with like a kind of a big, Dynatox show that that delved into Terry is that something that you would like tune into and watch? Hundred percent. I mean, I'd be counting down the minutes. You know, we'd we'd be here doing a live stream about it. It would be ridiculous. <laughs> Twenty, yeah, early twenties. Terry, how his rise to fame and glory. I mean, that's I'd be all in for that. Absolutely. And Ken, um, you know, uh, by the way, great necklace, um, and and I, I appreciate the uh, you know the cosplay there. Um, <laughs> 
it, you know, again, you know, asking you the same question, if, if, if Dynatox was a real thing, is that something that you would like make, you know, videos about and, and get into and, you know, is that something that you would, you'd be interested in? Well, well, Hayden, I have to be totally honest with you. I've had literal dreams about that. <laughs> and in addition, I've already, uh, started making commercials about Dynatox. I don't know. So I am all on board. I support Dynatox, the company, and I would be very excited to see Dynatox, the series, like beyond excited. Yes. You no, know, we only know about the, you know, the, 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 our only understanding of it as a company is kind of as a toxic waste, you know, it, it's got this um, toxic waste dumping. And so it's, it's got, a preconceived notion about it right. um much like johnny you know but i'll tell you this companies to exist and thrive need to deliver to their customers they need to provide service so i don't know if we know the whole story of you know the the balance sheet of the positives and negatives of dynatox you know for society and all of that you know it's it's like I think energy in general as a as a industry there's a a, so, a somewhat lopsided view of that industry because of environmental um you know uh, opinions and not not to you know not, not to uh you know disagree with any of those concerns but the fact of the matter is we're uh we're communicating right now through technology that you know requires energy and you know for for every uh you know for every borneo disaster there's uh, a new children's school that has you know uh you know com you know communication abilities or or the ability to to travel from you know you know kids from you know, um, you know, certain places of the world to maybe, you know, to explore, you know, like th th there, there are benefits to energy that I don't think that we know about or appreciate. And I don't know, there, there's the, like, you could really get into, uh, like, you know, some, some deeper thoughts with that. And, and I feel like, you know, again, we, you, that all you know about Dynatox is, the little that you hear from like that hot tub scene and our own preconceived notions of companies that, you know, dump toxic waste. But the fact is like, what are you going to do with it? Like <laughs> right, you got somewhere. it somewhere. So, right. I, you know, it's like th th there may have been op other options that were like significantly worse. Um, and was kind of, it's like the, the best, you know, it was the most moral choice. You like to, maybe Borneo was the 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 least worst option. You don't know. So <laughs> all like I, all I these know are, is these are things that can be explored in addition to more Terry backstory and <laughs> get to see how maybe Snake is in nature. Maybe you know is <laughs> knows what's going on there. Yeah. So like it's definitely a drug dealer. Yeah. <laughs> I think it sounds like a calculated smear campaign. All we get is the negative stuff about yeah. Terry. We know that he's innocent. Yeah. We know he's done nothing wrong. I mean, like you said, it's the the maybe the best of the worst options. Yeah. And you know, what about all the good stuff that he's probably yeah. done for the world and the community? Right. That's that's yeah. how I feel about him. Borneo <laughs> might be his one blemish. We don't know this. Who knows? Who knows? 
Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and maybe there's something that happened in Borneo that in some way, not saying they deserved it, yeah. but like, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like maybe they did. They didn't, yeah. He didn't, yeah. you know, like he didn't get the premier suite at the hotel there. Those <laughs> you, know, you, you get to under, understand like maybe why that became a target. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just, I'm putting, I like putting things out in the ether and, uh, you know, let, let the fans, uh, you know, write letters to Netflix. I encourage. <laughs> well, Hayden, I think I speak for all fans, uh, to, you know, we want that. We would love that. And, uh, if we may, maybe we'll have a marathon where we write letters to Netflix about it too. Cause I, I mean, I would love it. And I think your take on it is, is exactly right. Dynatox. The reason it's so successful is because it's providing a valuable service to the world. And it would be fun to see Terry as, you know, he's a global player. I mean, my gosh, wouldn't that be uh, wouldn't that be fun? Um, also, it's an opportunity to see Terry and his father and the shadow. It's like, I, I always felt like coming out of Vietnam, like he, he was like broken down and like, like a Phoenix rose. And you're just seeing like it, what we're seeing. Credit kid three is him at an apex, but like, I'd love to see how that like yeah. kind of like, boom, you know, like came up and like, it just feels like there's that moment where he like kind of one ups his dad, you know, mm -hmm. and does stuff like that. Like, I love to see that. And, uh, you know, whether it's Nick Marini who plays young Terry and, or, uh, uh, Thomas, you know, it's just, it's such an amazing like world. So, um, listen, anything's possible. Anything's <laughs> <Right>. please. possible. <laughs> please. Yes, let, please. That's let, long letters. <laughs> <laughs> Not threatening, but, um, but that are passionate. Right. Forceful, uh, forceful letters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we'll, we'll organize a campaign, uh, to make that happen. Yeah. And, uh, I think as we've shown, we get results. So <laughs> not all that we'll make it. Hayden, thank you so much. This is so great to think about all this and obviously providing your thoughts on karate kid three. And I think on behalf of all fans, I say, thank you so much for the amazing work you've done on the Cobra Kai series. We love it. Uh, and thank you. Also, we didn't even get to talk about your other, other movies, which we love and the, uh, new show obliterated which we're all looking forward to thank you so much for for joining us today and uh, thank, um, thank you guys it's you know i i saw one of the other videos that you guys did and i was like you know i love these subjects so i'm I like a fan uh wanting to get involved so i i you know i did that and uh yeah more and more to come Cobra kai season six and obliterated it's gonna be amazing don't ever can't wait to announce yet but all i could say is it's uh you know, put as much heart and soul into that as as Thomas did into Terry. So get ready. There you and go. More that's great. More drugs. <laughs> uh, that's great. Oh, we, we can't wait. Thank you so much, Hayden. Uh, thank you, Drew and Badway, for joining us. And uh, maybe we'll have Hayden back when we organize our Dynatox campaign. And uh, <laughs> everyone, have a great day. Thank you so much for the super chats, everyone. Thanks for watching today. And we look forward to seeing you next time on KenCast. Want to be part of the live KenCast show? Subscribe to the Ken Cole YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to get alerts about every new show. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time on KenCast.